Please, if you will, turn in your Bibles to our scripture reading this morning, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 22. That's our scripture reading. Our sermon passage is Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 to chapter 28, verse 15. Matthew 27, 62 to 28, 15. But first we'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 22. And brothers and sisters, I remind you that this is the very word of God. This is the Lord speaking to you today. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as, Adam all, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now turning to Matthew chapter 27 beginning at verse 62 and reading through verse 15 uh, of chapter 28. Matthew 27, 62 to 28, verse 15. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. 
For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were, were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This ends the reading of God's most holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray that by your spirit you would give us direction this morning as we consider your word. As we consider what has been read to us, as we consider what is preached, we pray that your spirit would guide us and that in the preaching and the hearing of the word preached that you would be glorified. Help us by your spirit to make this an act of worship. Teach us from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of the Christian faith. But it is also for some the most difficult part of the faith to believe. Some people will say that Christ's resurrection is symbolic of the inner transformation that takes place inside believers. That is coming from some who are at least supposedly within the church. Those from outside of the church, mock the idea that someone could come back from the dead. But without the literal resurrection of Jesus, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 says, there is no Christian faith. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But, Paul continues in verse 20 of that same chapter, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, how is it fact? How is it provable? that Christ has been raised from the dead. We maintain that it's truth, that it's fact, that it's objective. And if we don't believe that it is factually true that Jesus is raised from the dead, then nothing else in Christianity is worth believing because it's built upon a lie that's central to the Christian faith. It's objective truth, however, because Christ's resurrection is established by historical accounts, one of which is the account that we just had read to us this morning. The other three Gospels give either eyewitness or earwitness accounts of what has happened. Another account is Paul's, who wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appeared to a number of people, including Peter and James and all of the apostles, as well as, as to over 500 people at one time. And then to Paul himself, eyewitnesses all to the resurrected Lord. This is how fact is established. Eyewitnesses testify to it. 
Now, in our passage this morning in Matthew, we read that Roman soldiers have, set, have been set as guards at Jesus' tomb. The chief priests wanted the guards there. They wanted soldiers there. The Pharisees wanted them there because they remembered that Jesus had said that after three days he would rise up from the grave. And they didn't want anybody to come along and steal the body and claim that he had come back to life. They were going to prevent what they knew was impossible from happening, but would be construed if people came, the disciples came and stole Christ's body. But despite their best efforts to prevent the tomb from being opened, and despite the best efforts of many today to disprove it, Jesus Christ is truly raised from the dead, and he came out of the grave on the third day. And that brings us to this thought that I would like for you to consider today. Because he is the eternal Son of God, death could not hold Christ captive. On the third day he broke its bonds and set his captive people free. Because he is the the eternal Son of God, death could not hold Christ captive. On the third day, he broke its bonds and set his captive people free. The sermon is divided into three sections, attempting to contain. That's the first section. Breaking the bonds is the second, and the third is attempting to conceal. Again, the first section, attempting to contain. The second, breaking the bonds. The third, attempting to conceal. To conceal. So let's go to the first section of the sermon this morning, attempting to contain. In our passage this morning, what we read from Matthew, it is the Jewish Sabbath where it begins, which would have begun at sunset on the Friday that Jesus was executed. And this is what Matthew means in verse 62 when he says that is the day after the day of preparation. So the day of preparation was when the people got ready for the Sabbath. And the Sabbath itself was the day on which this meeting between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Pilate took place. And on this Sabbath day, the chief priests, the Pharisees, all of these came before Pilate to ask a favor of them. And in verse 63, speaking to Pilate, the priests and Pharisees refer to Jesus as the imposter. And they make reference to the fact that he said that he would rise after three days. So the priests and the Pharisees asked Pilate for a contingent of Roman guards to secure the tomb until the third day. They need the tomb to be secure, uh, verse 64 says, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. They, They recognize, they understand, they know that if Jesus is not still in the tomb on the third day, then it will only cause the arguments of those who claimed he was the Messiah to gain momentum. It will undo what the crucifixion accomplished in their minds. And so Pilate said to them in verse 65, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. And verse 66 says, they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The stone had been set firmly in place in front of the entrance of the tomb, but now they sealed the stone with an authenticating wax seal to ensure that any attempt to open the tomb would be detectable. And that would let them know if anyone illegally entered the tomb. But the Roman guard was there to ensure that that would not, that that could not happen. But all of their best efforts at securing the tomb against those who would steal the body from the outside would do nothing to keep it secure against the one who, by his divine power, would burst free from within. And that brings us to the next point in the sermon, breaking the bonds. The scene changes and Not knowing that a guard has been set, the two Marys went to see the tomb on the third day in the morning. It was 
Sunday morning, the day after the Sabbath, and they were going to the tomb, according to Luke's gospel, with spices to put on Christ's body to preserve it. And when they got there, verse 2 of chapter 28 says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now notice that there is nowhere given in Matthew's account a description of the resurrection of Jesus itself. And notice also that the earthquake and the rolling away of the stone is not what allows the risen Christ to come out. Verse 6 makes clear that by the time the stone had been rolled away in front of the guards and the women, Jesus had already risen from and departed from the tomb. The open tomb then was for Jesus' followers, these women, the other disciples, you and me, to know with certainty that he was no longer there. Now we know that over the centuries, over the, the past two millennia, people have gone on great endeavors, made great endeavors, crusades in fact, to try to discover the body of Jesus Christ, to try to disprove the resurrection of Christ. They understand that the central tenet of Christianity is the resurrection itself. And if they can figure out a way, if they can find his body, If they can prove that he wasn't raised from the dead, then Christianity, like a house of cards, will fall flat. The angel of the Lord had come to roll away the stone so that these privileged followers of Christ, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, that they would see see firsthand that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Verse 3 describes the angel. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And he put fear into the Roman guards. Verse 7 says that they trembled and became like dead men in the angel's presence. And the angel has no concern for the guards. But to the women, he says in verse 5, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The women are scared by what they have just witnessed, and they are fearful of the angel before them. So the angel, he reassures them. Sounds familiar. That's what angels often do. When they came to bring glad tidings of great joy, they had to to cause those who were in fear to calm. He tells them that the one that they are seeking is not there, because just as he said he would, he has risen. And then the the angel invites the women to come into the tomb and to see where his body had been. The angel was making the women eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. And the women, of course, we know from John's gospel, will go back. They'll tell the other disciples and, and, and certain disciples, John, Peter, they will go running to the tomb to try to verify. In verse 7, he tells them to go quickly to tell his disciples what they have seen, that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he, that Jesus is going ahead of them to Galilee, just as he told the disciples back in chapter 26, verse 32 of Matthew's gospel. It was with fear, but also with great joy, verse 8 says, that they left the tomb, that they ran to tell the disciples all that they had seen and heard, and on the way they met their risen Savior himself. Verse 9 says, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped the Lord. This was the only proper response they could have to the risen Savior standing before them. Any doubt that they might have had about who Jesus truly was, was erased. It was taken away. The women's faith in Jesus up to that point had been primitive. It had been in seed form rather than fully grown. It was, in a sense, an an Old Testament saint's faith in Jesus. But upon seeing the one they had witnessed die on the cross, alive again, 
Their faith resulted in worship. The end result of true faith in Christ is always worship. Worship is the ultimate purpose for which we have been created, for which we have been redeemed. And after they worshiped Jesus, he said to them in verse 10, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there will I see them. Jesus makes it clear that he will fulfill his promise to the disciples to meet them in Galilee. And what's more, he refers to these men who have abandoned him as my brothers. This restoration of these men was hint, that was hinted at when he said that, that they would all fall away because of him is more firmly assured when he calls them here to these women, his brothers. And that takes us to the third and the final section of the sermon today, attempting to conceal. In verse 11, Matthew crosscuts back to the guards. They're most likely panicking because of their failure to contain Jesus in the tomb. They're panicking because they believe somebody must have come in and stolen the body. And they go to tell the chief priests what had happened. Rather than preventing Jesus' body from being taken, these men had become eyewitnesses to his resurrection. They were eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. And seeing the explosive potential of these men's words, the chief priests and the elders bribed the soldiers and told them to lie, saying that Jesus' disciples came by night and stole him away while they were sleeping. Now that sounds like a plausible excuse, but falling asleep on guard duty in that day could result in the death penalty. It most certainly would have resulted in the death penalty. Even in our own military today, in a time of war, if you're caught sleeping on guard duty, you can be put to death. If you're asleep on guard duty, when, when, it, when someone sneaks into the camp and kills your fellow soldiers, your fellow uh, members of the military, you can be put to death. Well, the priests and the elders recognize the damage that this false report might have on the soldiers' reputations and to their lives. And so they add in verse 14, And if this comes to, be the, to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. They know, they understand that the soldiers' lives are on the line. And these men's pocketbooks apparently were more important to them than life or reputation, and so they accept the bribe of the scribes and the, and the priests and the elders. And verse 15 says, So they took the money and they did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And this same story continues to be spread in our day as well. The resurrection is unpalatable to unbelievers, and so if they're willing at least to admit that Jesus was a historic person, their main option is to assert that his body was stolen, that he was not raised from the dead. Sometimes those who don't believe in Jesus will say that they, they wish that they could believe, but they just can't. They wish that they could believe in the resurrection, but it flies in the face of reason, in the face of logic, in the face of science. But our passage points out the fact that unbelief is willful, it is active. Unbelief is a conscious decision to deny the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And we see this by looking again for a moment at the guards, as well as the chief priests and the elders. The guards have witnessed the empty tomb. They saw the same thing that Christ's disciples saw, his, his, these women who followed Jesus saw. They were the people closest to Jesus when he was resurrected, whether they were aware of his resurrection or not. They saw the angel of the, of the Lord roll the stone away, and they knew the tomb was empty, but they chose to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And these soldiers gave an eyewitness account to the chief priests and elders who chose not only to suppress the truth, but also to conceal the truth from everyone else. 
Now, the same eyewitness account was given to the disciples by the two Marys. But Mark 16, 11 says that when the disciples heard that he was alive, they would not believe it either. And then Jesus appeared to his disciples and he rebuked them in Mark chapter 16, verse 14, for their refusal to believe and for their hardness of heart. In John chapter 20, when all of the disciples had seen Jesus except Thomas and they reported what they had seen to Thomas, Thomas refused to believe that Christ was alive. Unless he stood before him, unless Thomas could see the marks of the nails and put his fingers in Jesus' side. And you remember that when Jesus stood before Thomas and told Thomas to do just that, Thomas simply said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus responded to him then, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, brothers and sisters, we are those who have not seen the risen Lord, and yet we do believe. Christ has pronounced a blessing on you and on me. We don't have the privilege at this point in history of being able to see Jesus face to face. We don't have the privilege of having seen his nail-pierced feet and hands. We don't have the privilege of seeing the wound in his side, but that doesn't let us off the hook with regard to our faith in him or our lack thereof. Even if we could see with our eyes right now that he had been raised from the dead, it wouldn't guarantee that we would have faith in him, as the soldiers in our passage proved. Implicit in faith is that the object of that faith is unseen. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You weren't eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. You didn't see the risen Lord on the road to Emmaus. You don't have that luxury. That doesn't let you off the hook, however. When you stand before the judgment seat of God, you cannot use as your defense that if only you could have seen Jesus, you most certainly would have believed in him. If someone here does not believe in Jesus, it's because you're refusing to believe the truth that he is the son of God who died for our sins and was raised back to life on the third day. There's not enough evidence in the world to convince you if you don't believe that this happened. Hear the words of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, where he says, God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. People will continue to say that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a myth. People will continue to try and prove that he did not rise from the grave, but they will be trapped in futility unless they come to embrace Jesus Christ in faith. But for everyone, it's a simple matter of belief. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus Christ broke free from the bonds of death so that if you do believe in him, You too will be set free from death. You will live with him forever. By his grace, he brings dead sinners back to life. By his grace, he shares with sinners the same resurrection power that brought him back from the dead. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been made alive. You are born again. If you weren't, you could not have faith. And that, brothers and sisters is good news. Let us pray.
Our gracious God and Father, we are grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ, that He went to the cross willingly, that He bled, that He died, that He suffered the wrath that was due unto us because of our sins. We're thankful as well, Lord, that He rose from the dead on the third day. We're thankful for those precious eyewitnesses, the two Marys. We're grateful, dear Lord, for them, for how they fell down and worshipped at Christ's feet when they saw him. And we're grateful that these eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts, not only of the Marys, but also of the disciples, of the 500 to whom Christ appeared, of the Apostle Paul and many others, that these accounts have made their way to us. And we're grateful that Christ Jesus himself pronounced a blessing upon those who have not seen him and yet have believed. Well, we understand, we know that this didn't happen because we created or generated faith in ourselves. We understand, seeing from this account, seeing what the Roman soldiers did and did not do, that they did not believe. We understand that faith itself is a gift from Almighty God. And we are grateful. But we pray that you would bless us and keep us now. We pray that we would have great joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in our own resurrection from the dead. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.